So today I'm going to have the privilege of preaching um, to you again uh, out of our series in Mark. Um, before we do that, I just want to briefly do a little introduction and then we're going to do a little activity together before I get into the, the, um, the message. But um, I've called this message Peace in the Wildest Storms. And I really hope that you'll be encouraged this morning. And just to set the scene, I remember in the early chapters of Mark, we explored the greatness of Jesus as a teacher and uh, the rising opposition to his message, especially from the Jewish religious authorities, uh, so much so that he had to start preaching outside of the synagogue. And so in the early chapters, there's some things that happened outside of the synagogue as well. And then recently, over the last month, we've been looking at Jesus, his parables, and how they explained his kingdom. And now if you're following in your, in your Bibles, you'll see there's a shift that begins to happen in uh, chapter end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. And the focus begins to shift from, shift from Jesus as the great teacher to Jesus as the Lord of all the universe and all of creation. And it begins to focus on his authority uh, in various areas of creation. And so we start to see some of the miracles that Jesus begins to do. And so... There are three sets of miracles that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. Uh, the first example I'll look at this morning is when Jesus uh, uh, quietens the storm uh, in chapter 4, verse 35. And in the second example of the miracles that we will look at is that Jesus is Lord not only over creation, but also over Satan. And so there's a vivid example of Jesus delivering someone from a legion of demons uh, in chapter 5. And then the third example shows Jesus has having authority even over death and sickness. And we, hear, we read the story of Jairus' daughter and of the, the woman who had constant bleeding for many, many years. And that's the second half of chapter 5. So we're going to look at those three little examples of the miracles of Jesus. But before we look at our portion this morning in Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to ask Helen to come and we're going to do a little exercise with you that we do sometimes with younger people. It's quite fun and it's a sort of visual and verbal and gets you involved to think about what it's like to be in a storm. So here we go. Okay, it is a little bit silly and fun, but if you can... Are you all happy to take part? Okay. So what you're going to do is I'm going to start on this side, and I'm going to do something with my hands. And then as I walk past you, I'd like you to, to do what I'm doing, and then keep doing it till I come back to you. And then everyone starts doing it, a bit like a Mexican wave, but doing that. But keep on doing it. And then when I come back, and what we're going to do is we're going to create a huge storm. Okay. This is the quiet before the storm. Great time. Well done. <laughs> so hopefully that helps you remember what it's like to be in a storm. It's a bit like that, isn't it? You kind of hear the physical noise increasing and blowing, and we've certainly had many storms over the last couple of weeks, and we all survived Storm Jorge, didn't we? The last one was called Storm Jorge because it was named by the Spanish people. But, um, so I'd like to speak to you this morning about peace, even in the wildest storms. And to do that, we're going to look at our scripture in Mark, if this is going to work for me, is it? Yeah, we go. So here, yeah, we're going to read together. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, 
Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, I'm sure you've heard this, this story many, many times, um, but it's an incredibly simple picture, isn't it? It's late in the day. Jesus and his disciples set out to go to the other side of the lake. It's interesting, verse 36, it says there were other boats with them too. So there was a little... Um, collection of boats, and suddenly there's this violent storm that threatens to sink the boat. And while all of this is happening, Jesus is asleep. And he's on a cushion in the stern, completely exhausted and completely at peace and completely asleep. And so these little details that Mark records show us that he, he was an eyewitness, or the person telling the story certainly is an eyewitness to this event. And uh, we know also that from the way the boats were constructed that the guest of honor would always have the place in the stern, in the front of the boat, where there was a little resting place. And the captain was normally at the back. The back of the boats was slightly elevated so he could have a, uh, a special line of sight and see where they were going, and he would steer from the back with the rudder. But the, the front part of the boat, the stern of the boat, was always reserved for the guest of honor. And so Jesus is the guest of honor, and he's lying on the cushion at the front of the boat. Also know that um, the Sea of Galilee was absolutely notorious for storms. They came out of the blue with terrifying suddenness and swiftness. And one of the ancient writers says this, uh, it's not unusual to see terrible squalls that hurl themselves even when the sky is perfectly clear upon the waters which are ordinarily so calm. So for any person venturing out onto the lake, there was a risk of encountering one of these storms. And the disciples who were fishermen would have known this and would have been aware of the risks for Jesus and his friends when they launched out into the lake. Now, I included this picture here. Oh, where's it? It's gone back. Yeah. I included this picture because when I was a teenager, I used to sail. And I loved sailing. And I used to sail dinghies just like this. And um, when I was about 19, I was on this place called Midmar Dam, which is a place we used to sail. And uh, I've read that when you're a teenager, the front part of your brain is still not fully developed. And the front part of your brain is the part of your brain that warns you when there's danger, all right? And that's why teenagers do such stupid things without thinking about it, because their brains are still not fully developed. And I'm not saying that in a patronizing way. It's, it's, that's what the science says, all right? And so I was sailing one day on the stingy, and the wind was beautiful. It was a beautiful day, and far in the distance, I could see some gray clouds. But being a young man full of confidence, I thought, well, it's going to be, the wind is great. I'm going to continue sailing. So I went straight to the center of the dam. By the time I got to the center of the dam, for those of you who know that African storms, it had got so, the waves were so big and the lightning was striking, and I was in the trouble, and I didn't know if I was going to get back to the side. 
So I take the boat around, head for the shore, and by the time I'm getting to the shore, there is water in my boat, and I'm lucky to make it back, all right? So it was strangely exhilarating, but incredibly frightening at the same time. So I know what it's like to be in a boat in a storm and to be fearing for your life, all right? So here, I want you to notice a couple of things out of the story. The first is the reaction of the disciples. They seem to blame Jesus for their problem. Do you notice that? They say to Jesus, Jesus, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we've got this problem? And we can have some sympathy with the disciples. I mean, after all, they were fishermen. They knew the context and they knew the dangers of the lake. And perhaps they had even escaped similar storms in the past. And so clearly they were worried about the violence of the storm and the stress that they were in. And I was just thinking about that. We can often be like the disciples in our own lives. Whenever there's a stressful situation that comes, we can uh, often blame other people and want them to do something about the situation that we feel powerless in ourselves. And we try and goad them into action, don't we? So, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? So, I included this little picture here um, because this is how it is sometimes in our car. Um, I, don't, I don't know how it is in your car. And, and Helen said to me that actually this picture should be the other way around. But... I hope no one's offended. It's a joke, all right? (laughs) But often when we're in a stressful situation, we blame other people, don't we? If only you wouldn't talk so much, I wouldn't have an accident. It should say 45% more accidents with that thing. So we do sometimes, don't we? We, we? we take our stress out on other people and try and goad them into action. That's, that's what the disciples were trying to do with Jesus. Don't you care? Don't you care about my problem? Do you notice the reaction of Jesus, though? It's fascinating. He does two things. First of all, he rebukes the storm. And with a single word, it calms down Straight away. Now, I found it very interesting because in the, the context of um, the story, he uses the same language that he used in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, where he says to the, the, the demon-possessed man, he casts out the demon, and he says over the man, he says, peace be still. Now, why does Mark include this detail of exactly the same language? Well, I think he, he, he can possibly be, sorry, it's, it needs to be changed. Next one. You see, in in the ancient times, people believed that demons manifested through nature. And so Jesus is showing that the same power that he had over the demon in Mark chapter 1, he's using the same language to demonstrate his authority over nature. Even if people thought there was demonic manifestation in nature, Jesus is demonstrating with the same words that he has power over all of nature. It's amazing. And so he uses the exact same language. And then secondly, not only does he rebuke um, the storm, he then goes on to rebuke his disciples. The second thing he does is he rebukes his disciples. And he says to them in no uncertain terms, he says, why are you so afraid? And he rebukes their lack of faith. He rebukes their cowardice. And why, why does he do that? Well, I want to 
suggest to you there's a primary reason that Jesus does that. Right here, in one little uh, situation, we are demonstra- it's demonstrated to us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in this little story. The crux of discipleship is this, is that often, you can change for me, please, thank you. Often, we want Jesus to do things for us. Jesus, quieten the storm. Jesus, do that for me. Jesus, do this for me. Jesus, come through for me in this situation. You know what Jesus wants from us? He wants us to trust him completely. Regardless of what we see around us, he has the heart of discipleship. Not Jesus, will you do this for me? But Jesus, I trust you completely with my life. Every detail of my life. The things that I know about, the things that I can't see, the things that I'm not sure of, the future that I have, I trust it completely to you. And will you take my hand and walk with me? That is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And it's interesting, whenever we react um, in a negative way, I want to enlarge on this thought a little bit. You know, the disciples' reaction shows the exact opposite of what it means to walk by faith. They show panic, verse 40. And whenever we panic in our lives, we are showing a lack and a narrow view of the goodness of God and that Jesus, his heart is actually towards me. We're showing a narrow view of faith whenever we panic. And I'm not saying that to accuse anyone here this morning. I'm saying that because in my own life, there have been moments of panic where I've had to take myself in hand and pull myself towards myself and say, no, I choose right now not to panic. I choose to trust in the living God for my future, that he's holding me in his hands. And even in the midst of the storm, his presence is with me right now. He is in my boat Can I just say that again? Jesus is in your boat. Whatever your boat is going through, Jesus is there with you. And when you realize that, it makes all the difference in the world. Because then you hear him saying, peace be with you. So the disciples simply wanted Jesus to get them out of the mess. And the small print for me is this. They were kind of saying to Jesus, if you didn't get us to get into this boat, we wouldn't even be here on the, in the situation in the first place. Don't you care, Jesus? That's the small print. Just get us out of the mess that we're in. And Jesus is talking, showing a much deeper, deeper thing. Will you trust me with your future? And so that's what he's trying to show them. Secondly, he's trying to reveal to them that he has a greater trust that he's calling them to. He, he, he demonstrates to them in a, in a tangible way, of the greatness of his power, the greatness of what he can do. And a few minutes before, he had been asleep because he was so tired, because he'd been ministering to everyone. And now, he, he, with one word, he can calm the storm. And he has, he has a beautiful thought that I, I, I kind of was thinking about this week. The one who'd fallen asleep because of his own physical weariness was also the one who ruled the entire universe. Isn't that a beautiful thought? He was weak enough to fall asleep. and At the same time, he was strong enough to rule the waves. And so Jesus, sleep on the pillow because he was so tired, was also the divine Lord of the universe who could cope with any emergency. And because he was showing us his humanity, he was saying to us at the same time that in every way he could relate to our needs and relate 
to our world. And so we have this incredible picture of the deity, the supreme authority of Jesus and his absolute humanity, his power over all things, and his compassion for those that were closest to him. And so I put it to you this morning all of us, like the disciples, need to learn this lesson in our lives in the same way that they needed to learn to trust Jesus with their future, so too do we need to trust Jesus for our present and our future because he is completely trustworthy. And so that brings me to the third point, simple point this morning, that Jesus brings peace in the midst of the wildest storms of our lives. Now, if we just take this story literally, we would kind of keep it on the external part of our lives. And we would say, well, that happened 2,000 years ago, happened to the disciples, and it's a wonderful story that uh, we can marvel at and say, isn't that amazing that Jesus could calm the storm? But it happened then, and it can't happen again. But I want to put it to you that we need to read this much more symbolically, and as we do that, it becomes incredibly valuable to us. And I want to say to you this morning that when we realize that Jesus is with us, when we realize that Jesus is in our boat, the fear of the disciples was changed into a fearless peace. And I want to put it to you this morning that all of us can know fearless peace in our lives if we will just grasp that Jesus is in our boat. He's with us. He's there. And when we realize that he's there, we can begin to hear him say, peace to you. Whether it's you feel like there's demonic attack in your life, you can hear the voice of the Lord say, peace to you. When there's anxiety in your life because of circumstances or fear about the future, you can hear the voice of the Lord say, peace to you. If you're trusting for your loved ones, your children, you're wanting to see breakthrough in their lives, you can hear the voice of the Lord say, peace to you, if you realize that he's in the boat with you. And you look to him and not to the storm. And so the great news of the gospel is that the journey that we have with Jesus is a journey in peace even when the storm's raging around us. And I want to suggest three storms. You can probably think of more. The first is the storm of sorrow. You know, all of us are going to experience sorrow in our lives. Um, at some point, we're going to experience loss of those that we love. I, I was just amazed to be thinking about it this week that my mum died 12 years ago. And it's kind of like, I can't believe it's so long and it feels so short in other times. And I'm going to go to um, uh, South Africa in, in April because my dad is 84, 85 now. He's beginning to develop dementia and I want to see him while he can still know who I am. And so I'm preparing for another loss in my life of my father, which will come in the next however many years it is. All of us are going to experience loss of those that we love. And so I don't say that uh, to in any way to bring anxiety into your life. I just say that in the midst of loss, Jesus comes to show us his glory and the glory that is still to come. And in the darkness of death, he transforms the reality of death into the absolute assurance of eternal life with him. And so that's why we can sing the song, O death, where is your sting? O fear, where is your power? The mighty king of kings has disarmed you. Don't you love to sing that song? I love to sing this song. Delivered and redeemed, eternal life is ours. O praise his name forever. 
So I don't, I don't in any way make light of our pain or make light of our sorrow, but I want to just to point you again that in the midst of sorrow, Jesus comes and he points us to the love of God. In the storm of sorrow, Jesus tells us and assures us that those that love him, that have gone to be with him already, we will meet with them one again, once again, even though we've been separated from them for this short time. Amen. This is the gospel, my friends. This is the good news. This is what we hold to with a deep assurance in our lives. That's why Paul says we do grieve, but we do not grieve with like those who have no hope because we have great hope in the living Christ, and his name is Jesus, and death has been defeated, and we rest in that. There is peace in the sorrow and the storm of sorrow. Secondly, we can have peace when life's problems draw us into feeling anxious or uncertain. I mean, there are times in our lives when all of us, we just don't know what to do. We've, we've, got, we've got situations where we, we are at like at a crossroads, and we don't know which way to, to take. Do I go this way? Or do I go that way? And it's in those moments that we need to turn to Jesus and ask this simple question, Jesus, what do you want me to do? The real tragedy is not that we don't know what to do. The real tragedy is that often we fail to ask. And we actually, when Jesus responds to us, we fail to take his guidance. And so to ask his will and to submit to his will brings absolute peace into life. So I want to ask you this morning, where do you have doubt? Where do you have uncertainty right now? Is there an area of your life that you haven't yet asked the Lord what he wants you to do with that area of your life? Where's an area of doubt? Have you brought that doubt into the presence of Jesus and said, Jesus, this doubt, will you speak into this doubt? Can I put it to you this morning that if you don't know doubt in your life, you will never know what faith is? Because faith is exercising a choice to believe God, even when my brain is saying, doubt the goodness of God. In the moment, I'm choosing to trust Him with my future that's what faith is. Faith is choosing to believe God's promise for your life, even when there's doubt all around you, and there's a storm of unbelief all around you. And so, when you don't know what to do, can I encourage you, the first thing to do is to get on your knees and say, Jesus, what would you have me do? Thirdly, we can have the peace of the Lord in the storm of anxiety. You know, the chief enemy of our lives is worry. Uh, we worry for ourselves. We worry for our loved ones. We worry about an unknown future. And actually, our culture and our media doesn't help us not to worry. In fact, most times, the opposite is true. And after the last uh, three years of anxiety about Brexit, we are now confronted with a new anxiety. Will coronavirus affect me? Will I be safe? Will my family be safe? How are we going to cope? And I can, all I can assure you of this morning is that uh, once this stress has been navigated, there will be another challenge that lies ahead of that one that we cannot yet see that we will have to trust God in. Can I say that to you this morning? So we've gone through the challenge of Brexit and now this coronavirus and there are certain issues in the world in terms of our um, world economy and all these kind of things. Once we've navigated this one, there will be another one for us to navigate. 
We have many, many opportunities to worry, many opportunities to be anxious and fearful. But here's the good news of the living Lord Jesus. I want to say it one more time. Jesus knows about your life. He knows about your boat. In fact, he's in the boat with you. Will you trust him? Will you hear his voice saying, peace, be still in your life? And so in the middle of whatever storm we might be in, Jesus shows us the hands of a sovereign and a good father upholding us, caring for us, and carrying us with his love, which will never leave us or forsake us. And in the midst of all that, he brings us his peace, the peace of the love of God that we can know and recognize that his presence is with us. And so I want to invite you this morning as we close, I want to spend some time praying. And uh, there's a certain humility that comes when we have to recognize things in our lives, isn't there? And that's why it's so difficult sometimes to respond when, when, when the Holy Spirit is calling, because it's showing, it's showing that actually we're recognizing that there is a problem. And so I want to say to you, if, if you are needing to trust God in an area of your life where you are anxious about something, where you're fearful, whether you're uncertain, you don't know what to do, where you feel like there's a storm raging in your heart and you can't decide, I want to encourage you this morning to come forth for prayer and let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Part of the victory is just saying, Jesus, I have a problem and I don't know how to fix it. Will you in the, the boat of my life, will you speak peace into this situation? So whatever it is, I want to encourage you this morning, whether it's sorrow, whether it's doubt, whether it's uncertainty, whether you're anxious, know that you can trust the whole of your life to a good father who has you in the palm of his hand. Jesus is in the boat with you, and he wants to speak peace over you this morning. Amen.